Dylan, Sam, welcome. Hey, how are we doing? There we go. Sam, welcome back from your hibernation. I'll let you two sort of start us off a little bit. I know we wanted to touch on some of the news that came out today. Anything first off that you wanted to touch on from the monthly report released last week? Just want to interrupt real quick, or I guess just before we get on that. So, I mean, I assume most of the listeners here have, if you haven't been on Twitter today, you know, the treasury blacklisted Ethereum tornado cash addresses. And and it looks like, you know, USDC actually blacklisted all of those addresses as well, kind of cons- confirming everyone's belief that the USDC and, you know, kind of just like the, the creeping, the, the creeping up of, you know, an, an inevitable central bank digital currency is something that's not good. And USDC blacklisted all the tornado cash addresses. And just now tweeted literally two minutes ago, the, the founder of, of tornado cash, which is an open source project, right? Say what you want about Ethereum, think what you want about Ethereum as an asset or its long-term kind of arc of, you know, decentralization, centralization, but it still is open source, a lot of the, the code and, or I mean, all of it. And, you know, the, the CEO of Tornado Cash, not CEO, the, the founder of Tornado Cash, just had his GitHub account suspended. So like, this is getting really interesting just in terms of, you know, if you think about Bitcoin as an open source project, Bitcoin devs as open source developers, Lightning, all of this stuff. Today's a pretty important day and, and it, you know, the, the precedent here isn't great. Right. So just like, you know, I guess everybody as a, you know, as a Bitcoin holder, every, I mean, we talk about Bitcoin Magazine Pro, we talk a lot about Bitcoin as the asset and the price discovery of it. And it's, you know, intersection with legacy finance, but just in terms of the cypherpunk movement and ethos, uh, you know, there's that, that still is kind of where Bitcoin thrives is black market money. And today's precedent, even though it, was, it is Ethereum, even though it is stable coins and that can, in theory, it can't happen to Bitcoin for running your own node. Right. But it's just not a great, not a great precedent for privacy, and I think everybody should just be alert about what's coming down the pipe here over the next, you know, few quarters, next few years, and just just brace yourselves, whatever that means for you. Like, let's just make this really easy for those who maybe don't really understand why Bitcoiners should care about anything that happened to the Ethereum side of things, like. Why do we need to care about this? Yeah, I guess I'll just, you know, first off, let me, let's let, you know, Sam introduce, I mean, if you, do you have any thoughts on this, Sam? I, I let's, I don't know. I haven't really talked to you too much about today about this. I mean, we, we just send it in Slack to each other, but haven't really heard your in-depth thoughts. I think you're, I think you're muted on the, on the video, my man. Press M. Did we lose Sam? Sam, go to the restream, just like page where you could see Dylan and mine's pretty faces. And then like... Sorry guys, we're having some trouble with the stream. Twitter face just is... I'm, okay, this, this two recording thing is pretty tough. I got to say, even though I've done it a bunch. <laughs> you, you would think after attempt number 17, we would have this down. Well, I think regardless of the tech difficulties, you know, I think while we were planning on talking about this before, talking about just kind of like the macro backdrop, our recent monthly report, um, you know, this is, I, I like think it's just top of mind here, just given how, I, I guess there's a lot of people maybe that have came in in, in the recent 
year, two years during the bull market. And I ran it for the number go up technology. And I think that that long-term thesis still, still holds as true as ever in terms of, you know, the inevitability of more fiat currency debasement, the you know, future price performance of, of Bitcoin will be good. But just in terms of, of living up to the potential of, you know, a true decentralized global currency, freedom, money, not just about the number go up. Like we just gotta, we just gotta be prepared because it's going to be a fight and, you know, like not your keys, not your coins, run your own full node, you know, privacy, acquiring KYC, free Bitcoin. Like these are all the things that in a, in a, you know, macro based finance based, you know, newsletter, we don't really talk about too much, but it still is like in terms of, in terms of Bitcoin ultimately winning. Right. And I think we're on that path, but it's going to be bumpy. You know, people got to prepare because it, otherwise it's just, you know, it's where we're transacting on a transparent ledger here. Like that's the reality of Bitcoin. We can't change that. Right. So, so what are you doing to, I mean, do you, do you know about your UTXOs? Can you, you know, do you have KYC free Bitcoin or are you just transacting on a, on a, on a ledger where the state and, and, you know, kind of the, whether it's a tax man or whatever is looking straight, straight at you in the face and Everyone's got to think about that. I know I'm just kind of beating a dead horse here, but it's uh, it's just not a good not a good precedent today. And I think it's just only going to get tougher for Bitcoin companies, for open source software solutions. Like, there's a good chance that that that's that founder of Tornado Cash, right, gets like you know kind of digitally canceled. He got his GitHub deleted. But GitHub is an open source software tool. So just like thinking adversarially about this sort of stuff, and you know how these centralized choke points will will you know be they'll have pressure put on them. The biggest exchanges, you know, maybe even wallet software developers, which is like a scary thing, right? That's not ideal. And so just like preparing for this because, you know, Bitcoin's ultimate, ultimate, maybe not reality, but ultimate fortune is, is you know, it's not just going to be some, you know, speculative asset or at least hopefully not. Otherwise it's been kind of, for better or worse, excuse my French, cucked by the state. We are really, like, we really have to prepare and fight and build because, you know, that choke point is coming. Excellent use of cucked, my friend. Sam, do we have you this time? Can you talk? Can we hear you? No. All right. So while Sam keeps cucking us, Dylan, I want to ask you, like, I do agree this idea that you can now just, uh, an open source software platform will just say, nope, you know what? We don't like this project anymore. So you're just, you're gone. Very scary. And in theory, the proposition could be there for Bitcoin. I do, however, think something like BlackRock's new partnership with Coinbase maybe helps keep coin in safer waters. I want to, however, have a conversation with you over this idea of whether or not we need to see regulation done at all around Bitcoin or crypto at large. And I want to focus it more on the crypto side of it. We saw Elizabeth Warren very shortly after the BlackRock announcement and news come out and say, I want to introduce some more powers for the SEC to now go and first have, have greater oversight over the securities that are being created by BlackRock over crypto assets. Is this a necessary thing or is this just more of the same of Far too much government overreach. We don't need this type of stuff. Get out of our cereal. Yeah, I think like like ultimately, or you know, ninety percent of these, you know, altcoin, probably larger than ninety five percent, right? Are a lot of these, you know, probably 
classified as securities? No. As does the cyberpunk kind of anarchist in me think that that these should be prosecuted as securities? And I'm sorry if I said no earlier. They probably are just you know, decentralized and name only a lot of them. But to see like, you know, the BTC versus ETH wars and, you know, like the the call for the, the classification and, and overreach of, of the SEC to call all of these things in the entire ecosystem and all of the on-ramps and all of the off-ramp securities and securities, you know, exchanges. Like if you look at what kind of FTX and, and Coinbase as they get, you know, more and more kind of integrated with these law firms and, and the lobbyists, like, they're going to actually try to, 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 go, to keep their competitive moat. And what that means is a complete kind of over-regulation and over, complete oversight from the state for, you know, in theory, these crypto, or if you're just thinking Bitcoin specifically, on-ramps and off-ramps with KYC. And so, you know, like, I don't think, I'm not a fan of uh, Gary Gensler going and saying ETH is security. I'm not saying that. But the reality is that all this stuff is coming. And I just think it's, you know, whether you're in Bitcoin, whether you're in crypto, whether you use stable coins on a DeFi rail, or you just buy Bitcoin every day and you send it to cold storage. Like you need to be thinking about what all this means and, you know, your trail of UTXOs, your trail of coins. Like if you have stable coins, if you don't like, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you've done anything legal, illegal or not, but like should start thinking about these things because it's the, this, these blockchain analysis softwares. I think it's not too hard to see. You can see the history of every single, you know, UTXO or Bitcoin that's ever moved on the network with, with, with basic ease at this point. And so, you know, just like, what's that mean for your altcoin or your DeFi protocol or your, you know, KYC free coins, Ethereum, stable coins, Bitcoin, like just, just be aware because, you know, this, this, this trend of, of more overreach, more oversight, it's not, you know, whether we're rooting for it or not, it's, it's probably coming in the U S at least. And, and, you know, globally as well, you know, they've, you see the big, the people, you know, higher up talk about, you know, if there is an escape route, Christine Lagarde said that she's like, if there's an escape route, they will use it. Well, what do you think the result of, and we're in the midst of somewhat of an unwind in macro land, what do you think the result of a decade of, of future and, and, and former financial repression? Why do you think Bitcoin is even here in the first place? It's because the monetary system is utterly broken and they're doing everything they can to kick the can down the road. And so in theory, if there's an on or off ramp, Bitcoin, in a world of, of super high inflation and, and you know, coming, the coming financial repression, whenever the Fed does eventually pivot, the reality is we can't have positive real yields. So, they, so there's going to there's gonna be a want and a desire to escape that system, that closed loop central bank digital currency dystopian future that like, you know, kind of, kind of we're all not scared of, but need to be vigilant of because it's coming, it's looming. And so, you know, that's just an unfortunate reality, but that's, that's why Bitcoin and, you know, and we focus on Bitcoin here, Bitcoin Magazine Pro, Bitcoin Magazine. But I mean, I also follow what's going on with Ethereum, what's going on with stable coins, what's going on with these, these other, you know, quote unquote protocols, because I think it's interesting. And I think, you know, ultimately a lot of this altcoin monetary premium is, is, is not actually sustainable, but, you know, let people build is my, my thing, you know build things, break things. And, you know, unfortunately a lot of fraud is baked in, in with all of it as well. Right. That's the downside. Um, but I think on the other side of this, we want to have, you know, a monetary, a monetary system that can, you know, scale the entire world and experimenting with privacy solutions and other rails isn't something that particularly bothers me, but that's just my opinion. And so sorry for rambling. Hey, can you guys hear me? Hey, there he is. 
after three weeks of fixing audio issues. No, you don't have to apologize for rambling, Dylan. That was great. You're the best rants. And hey again, everyone. Sam, please build off of your colleagues' rants. Yeah, just going back to the Tornado Cash, Ethereum kind of crackdown. I've always kind of viewed it as like, that's probably the inevitable, it's like a bigger reason for Bitcoin as well, right? Like you're going to live in this world where whether it's a CBDC coming down the pipe or this like stable coin banking world, that's going to be, you know, predominantly, you know, I've got a hundred and I think 40 billion in stable coins now that's on what, you know, is, is starting to, to really hit like rubber against the road on like what's decentralized, what's censorship resistant, what's permissionless. And you're going to live in these two worlds and it's in circles, uh, kind of incentives when you're looking at USDC or any kind of big stable coin issuer, if they want to exist and be around, you know, all the collateral that they're backed with their stable coin are, you know, different forms of treasury bills and T bills and money market funds and, you know, us collateral, if you want to keep that and sustain that and exist in the future. And there's probably a lot of what like the U.S. government wants to see that play out as long as they can kind of have control. Then I think you're going to run into a lot of issues like this all the time. And there's still a huge demand for U.S. dollars and stable coins around the world globally. So, even, I mean, even if this isn't permissionless or censorship resistant, people still want to get their their hands on them. So it's still going to thrive. But I think that just, again, goes back to the case for Bitcoin and why a new monetary system in that way is because, you know, we're going to hit this road where essentially whether it's stable coins or other protocols, blockchains that these things are going to be on, um, you're going to run into these control issues. And then, then Bitcoin's going to be sitting there and being saying, okay, here's the decentralized censorship resistant permissionless. It's not us dollar, but it is that form that people can go to. So it's an option and a choice. And so just going to have to see that adoption play out. But I don't think this is, I think this is just probably the start of it. Kind of the worst is, is yet to come here, you know, especially in a world that is going to want increasingly more and more access to dollars, maybe for the United States central bank digital currency project underway. I know they're doing the one with MIT now. Maybe that's not necessarily the solution, but a highly regulated stablecoin industry is. So first of many, definitely concerning. Um, and I think definitely opening the door for more people to consider Bitcoin in the future and its use. I think it goes back to I think CK, CK said this before, and I like it. I don't know if he's taking the quote for someone. It's kind of like you go to Bitcoin in search of need or greed. Either you, you know, you're, you're in need of it for some reason and what you think you're going to need in the future, whether that's self-sovereign money or whether that's, you know, a, a, a corrupted monetary network or debasement or whatever you're, you know, trying to get away from, or you're looking at it from a greed perspective, kind of self-interest in saying that, you know, you want to play that future opportunity and you want your purchasing power to go up and you see that as the money of the future. So I think, yeah, probably just getting started in terms of these announcements and, and what's coming down the pipe. I want to present a question for you both that you may or may not like my phrasing. Feel free to, as P has time and time again done, just completely ignore my question and answer something different. But this is, as you guys have mentioned, this is not the first attempt by the governments to start to instill some sort of regulation around Bitcoin or the broader crypto markets. We saw earlier this year out of New York, different legislation to curb Bitcoin mining. And we see this attempt out of quite a few different states, while other states have been more open and accepting of Bitcoin miners on the basis of two parts, the actual price of Bitcoin itself and global adoption. What types of regulation would be the most hurtful to Bitcoin price and global adoption? 
for example, regulation against minors or regulations directed towards individuals or regulations around what banks can or can't do with Bitcoin and crypto at large? Yeah, I mean, I I think like ultimately, you know, there's still a super bullish case for Bitcoin as an asset to reach 500,000 or even a million while it, while it ultimately didn't, unfortunately, like, you know, doesn't live up to the, to the, you know, expectations of, I mean, and, and certainly there will be people that, that use it and successfully anyway, regardless, but the, you know, the kind of the anarcho uh, cypherpunk dream of, of, you know, true, I mean, that, that, that's still possible, but I think some of the, some of the, like the banking regulations and, and whatnot, and just the clampdown of, of, you know, the non-KYC use is going to be, is not going to really impact the financial, like, you know, use case or the financial upside potential all that much. But for a lot of people that would consider themselves plebs or, you know, libertarian, whatever you want to call it, you know, just like <laughs> I know there's a hardcore Bitcoin maximalist, uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of way, things that can go wrong over the next decade that we have to fight against and prepare for. Um, and I know I just kind of repeated myself there, but you know, the banks right now have like with the basal requirements can't really have that much Bitcoin on their ass uh, on their balance sheet and up against however much they have, I think they need to have an, an equal amount of cash and it can't be more than 1%. So I think in, the regulations on the, say the banking front or insurance industry or pensions or whatever will be increasingly bullish over the, you know, I'm not talking the next three, six, 12 months over the next decade, like that'll, it'll, it'll be opened up. There's obviously demand, the BlackRock announcement with Coinbase is like just the start of, of, of that. Right. I think, and it'll continue to increase, but yeah, I mean, in terms of a particular regulation or not, you know, I, I don't really have a definitive answer for you there. You know, people want Bitcoin, including large, increasingly large asset allocators. I know it doesn't feel like it right now during this bear market. And I think we got, we got a little bit, <laughs> To kind of sift through in terms of you know this bear market i think people calling for a v-shaped or v-shaped recovery to all-time highs are a little bit uh, delusional but i'd love to be proven wrong there um so i don't really have a definitive answer for you again to you sorry but no uh, you do not need to apologize and, and i would just say that uh, also for anyone listening in twitter spaces we love to have people come up and, and ask questions but we are just doing a duplicate stream on youtube live for for bitcoin magazine and the video team so we won't be having other people up today, although we would love to just kind of indulge in a convo with anyone. I usually turn it back to you. Thank you for that. You can come see all of our pretty space faces from the Twitter space over on YouTube. So feel free to pop on over there, guys. I want to keep going down this rabbit hole, if you will, or we could switch it over to macro. You guys can tell me either way. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. I just want to let you know that tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale now. The largest Bitcoin conference in Europe will take place from October 12th to 14th. More details can be found at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your Bitcoin Amsterdam tickets today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Curious yeah, I just, I, I, like Again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I see new people continuing to filter back into the room. So I'm just going to sound like a broken record for one more time. I guess I should just pin them. Um, but yeah, like the, the founder of Tornado Cash, it's an open source Ethereum mixing wallet. Like, Samurai Wallet or Wasabi, which is, you know, has has already kind of, you know, started to become OFAC 
compliant and blacklisting certain addresses. You know, these are just ultimately like a collaborative Bitcoin transaction. People that call it a coin, you know, mix, mixing solution or whatever they, they try to call it, right? To, to try to criminalize it. It's just a Bitcoin transaction. It's just a collaborative spend. And that's just information. So like, you know, the kind of, you know, you could, you could make an argument that it's kind of like against free speech in a way, but I, you know, the state's not going to really accept that, but it's just, it's just not a good precedent. The founder, you know, just a builder of software had his, is, is getting potentially canceled because he created something that, you know, the U S government didn't like, and they, you know, they blamed Korean, you know, Korean, the, I don't even know what the, 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 the treasury guy tweeted out. It was pretty ridiculous, but just a just a pretty important day in general and not great for you know the the privacy movement in general but we've known it's been coming we've we've known that so you know just a matter of time so i want to play devil's advocate and i'm not i'm not asking this question cuz i think any action is justified i am just a vehicle to share a different idea let's ignore the tornado cash but let's say this actually happened to doquan or to Mashinsky, would your feelings be different? Well, let's, I mean, let's, let's distinguish, you know, a fraud, Alex Mashinsky, and think what you want about, you know, whether Doquan was building something earnest or knew it was, you know, all a Ponzi all along, not going to make that call here. But in terms of what, you know, Alex Mashinsky and Celsius did, it was fraudulent. And so it's different than someone just building software. It's non-custodial, like, like, Tornado Cash is a non-custodial Ethereum mixer. You send in a transaction. It's a, I don't know the exact technicals as well as I do with Bitcoin and mixing, but you send in Ethereum and it's it's a smart contract and it executes and you and it mixes it up and you can't tell what's the input, what's the output is the base of it. And sorry if I bundled the response a little bit. You know the the, <laughs> the Roman Semenov he doesn't actually touch the Ethereum. The the founder of or the you know the creator of this software, right? So like. Again, and there's this like kind of really petty like ETH BTC like you know flame war going on where you know all this hype around the merge and potentially you know the dot ETH Twitter cult will you know go against the, the Bitcoin maximalist Twitter cult like it's all it's all pretty dumb and I think it's missing the bigger point that uh, a clampdown is coming and you know whether Ethereum has its has its merits or is you know kind of riding on the backs of Bitcoin is anybody's judge i align probably more with the max maximalist bitcoin maximalist viewpoint but screeching that everything's a scam over the past decade hasn't really served anyone well or protected anybody if people still go for the scams and so maybe like we bitcoiners should fine-tune their message a little bit even though like I, i'm pretty bearish on all the other altcoins against bitcoin relative you know relatively over the next year five years ten years i don't i think ethereum is tremendously overvalued at 50 percent of bitcoin's market cap but it doesn't mean I, I think that you know calling for more regulation into the labeling of Ethereum as a security is just probably the wrong way to go about it to keep bringing it back here. Yeah, so I guess to go back to your question, Q, like is it justified if it was like some fraudulent activity or Mashinsky or something like that they're shutting down? I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you do it for one, you're going to constantly find you know the gray area to do it more and more, and I you know it just gets back to the point that. It's just two different systems completely and are, and are always going to be because stable coins are going to be larger centralized issuers, no matter what chain, whether it's Tron or Ethereum that they're on, they're going to run into those issues. They still operate. I mean, stable coins by definition are just, you know, a, a blockchain dollar version of the financial system that we have today. So, you know, I don't think it 
really matters in terms of punishing whether it's for the illegal activity or not. I think it's just that now when you think of like in Bitcoin terms and the innovation, what it's meant to be is that that you're going to have so many conversations. If Bitcoin's successful over the years and so many issues with trying to shut down rails for all sorts of reasons from a system that the United States has had or the Western world really has had very strong financial control over that they're going to be, you know, essentially losing that power and they're not going to be wanting to give that up in any such way. So again, you know, it's just like one probably very small example, whether I think it was kind of North Korean money laundering that's going to come up and probably many are going to fight and say, you know, that's, that's very justifiable to, you know, shut that down. And it just goes back to the censorship resistant kind of capabilities of all this. And, and are those, and, and what's truly like censorship resistant. And when Bitcoin, you know, grows and it scales, um, and it's in these situations, is it going to prove that it's really truly censorship resistant? I mean, that's probably me to me, like the largest risk, how much influence over, you know, governments and businesses between blacklisting addresses and, you know, trying to shut down some sort of like circular economy here, how much are they going to be able to do? Uh, and how much are the tools on Bitcoin going to be able to withstand that? I think on this, on this note, it's pretty interesting. Like, you know, all the macro craziness we've seen over the last, the last year, I'm not just talking about like financially, but the, the geopolitical tension that's increasingly being built with the United States and China and just, and just all of the, you know, like the sanctioning of, of treasury reserves, we're a long, long ways away from Bitcoin being anything from a, than a you know shortfall asset, a 24/7, 365 inverse VIX, right? S and P ticks down or up, Bitcoin is just beta on that, and it's just kind of this reflection of the liquidity tide and you know all the, that that extra speculation, you know, kind of sloshing around. But once Bitcoin is, you know, if we if we do reach this point of like, you know, Bitcoin's at 500,000, it's it's you know kind of equivalent to gold, even even bigger than that. Bitcoin becomes liquid enough for, you know, it becomes the enemy of monies, but not at a, a level of drug dealers and, you know, you know, like small speculators now like it is like it was in 2011 and like it is now in 2022. But in say 2020 whatever, right? How, however long it takes, it's going to be liquid enough for nations, adversarial nations to hold it in their reserves as a as a treasury asset um, at the at the largest level like so, you know sovereign you know bitcoin mining and and the reality that the game theory of digital money and and you know not not your keys not your coins at a nation state level is like you know not your central bank reserves <laughs> you know it's like it's not your system and ultimately i think people the game theory of bitcoin long term is that people institutions and eventually sovereigns are going to opt into something that, where they they have the rules like you know in their favor with, with whether, you know, it's absolute scarcity, rising production cost, and, and, you know, you get to decide that there's no more than 21 million coins by running your own software. And the, the bet on Bitcoin is the bet that people converge upon that because there's no other alternative. It's an, you can't use USDC and you can't use USTs, US treasuries, if you're Russia or China, right? Say, what if China invades Taiwan? And I'm not going to pretend and LARP here like I'm some geopolitical expert and know what Xi Jinping is going to do with Taiwan. I don't know. But I do know that that the, the trend of you know in, increasing hostility between you know the biggest the biggest institutions and, so, and sovereigns on the planet is going to increase, and the trust in a, you know this this international monetary order that has been built up you know for the last really 80 years since Bretton Woods, and and if you look you know post 1971 that order became free float fiat currencies. It's this experiment. We're really only 51 years into it, and so what happens when all of this you know kind of boils to a head and 
and you see, you know, massive competitive debasement and kind of fraying of, of this international monetary order, which we've arguably started to see over the last two years at an increasing pace and probably in the next three to five. Well, Bitcoin probably is is there, right? So like, I mean, I'm pretty short-term bearish. I think equities have a leg down, you know, and that we still haven't seen the biggest you know, volatility event in this financial meltdown. But on the topic of like, you know, censorship resistance, uh, it's, it's really, I think one of the biggest bull cases is thinking about that geopolitical game theory, looking why gold itself failed as global money and really, you know, global money between sovereigns at the biggest level, why that failed and why that trust, to, you know, that link that relationship failed. And then look into Bitcoin and, or, or really anything, look into Bitcoin, look into Ethereum, look into USDC, you know, and, and evaluate really every asset on the planet in terms of what's going to, you know, fill this, this kind of need, this global need for, for a neutral reserve asset. And like my, my bet, my, my, you know, conclusion is Bitcoin, but that's me personally. So, you know, I guess everyone has to make that for themselves, but that's, you know, kind of my thesis here. I don't want to give people the roadmap necessarily, but do each of you mind, because you both have this same thesis that Bitcoin is the ultimate asset that all money will end up pouring itself into. What are what are the sort of clues or the things that stood out to you in your process of coming to this thesis that for Bitcoin stood out? I can take a stab at it to start. Me and Dylan might have similar views on this. We've talked about it before. I think the biggest framework that I used when I was studying this is really the the Ray Dalio framework. And I know that's that's one that that Lynn's looked into and Preston, and it really helped shape more of a historic economic view of how monetary systems are rising and breaking down with kind of credit and debt and cycles and, and ultimately a problem that we've really never figured out. And in the conclusion of kind of every single one of these conclusion of a, a debt cycle reaching its end and, and something being born anew, or just kind of history of civilizations breaking down when you get to points of kind of political and social unrest, not just kind of high levels of debt to GDP monetary debasement with lack of productivity that you can do is that it's inevitable almost every single time through history is that people move to some of the hardest assets that they can find out of their, uh, basically a need to just save onto their purchasing power. That essentially the system is moving against them, it is failing, and you have this choice and this alternative and this option, and it's just in your own incentive structure to do that. And so for me, that's kind of necessarily how I think about it, kind of the economic machine that we're in today really the only solution that's been done, tried, tested, done again, is more perpetual kind of monetary debasement or running really high levels of inflation to kind of fix the credit kind of debt cycle mismatch that we're in today. Um, and so when that arises, you know, it's interesting to me that then you have this software technology truly decentralized on this type of S-curve adoption. I know that's maybe sometimes a meme to talk about that, but it, it really is has a similar traction or potential as what the internet and mobile smartphone adoptions are about. And for the first time you have this for a form of money or form of store value or purchasing power in that way. So you kind of have these two forces coming up against each other. And we have this kind of solution for the first time where gold has never really been successful in being able to do that for a lot of reasons. So that to me is a recipe for real potential and adoption to occur as that's playing out. Now, a lot of those things can play out for a really long time. Reserves currencies can hold their their status for a very long time post, you know, a kind of declines or the turning points that we've seen. And 
<clears throat> so it's one of those things that I think now we're just in the first kind of initial stages in years or decades of, of watching that play out. Well said, sir. Shall we move on to the monthly report? Yeah, sure. Yeah, talk let's some, do it. Some finance macro. Why, why everything's going to shit. All, all hail macro. Let's, let's do the broad strokes of this. What are the things that are standing out to you guys? And what are the things that are having the most impact both on the macro environment as well as the price of Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, so our, our shorter term thesis is that we're in the in the, in the you know midst of a bear market rally in in risk. So you've seen you know throughout 2022 the trend was you know long long duration assets got killed as yields as yields you know exploded upwards on the increasing inflation print. So so you know we saw for the first time in in, in I think 40 years a, a bond equity correlation persist for months on end during a sell off. You know traditionally kind of the risk parity was that. With that equities and bonds kind of hedged each other, bonds hedging equity losses as yields during a during a sell-off during the start of a global slowdown, and you know we just got a technical recession print. Um, but really, you know, kind of the, the turning of a debt cycle. Usually, you see yields uh, have an inverse correlation with equities. So risk parity, the kind of the bread and butter of, of legacy finance, got killed, um, and really just you know the the everything bubble started to deflate is what what happened. Is essentially the easiest way to say it. So Bitcoin obviously was was you know very very correlated to that and served as beta and you know a lot of that leverage that kind of accumulated during the two year bull market you know everyone swimming naked when the tide washed out got you know got wrecked and washed up to shore. So this was you know first the first kind of open interest or the cascade to fall was you know kind of the centralized exchange leverage like you know futures open interest and all that you know from sixty k to say forty thousand. And then from 40,000 and, you know, down to 20 was a lot of kind of hidden layers of obfuscated leverage. We had the Luna Ponzi that imploded. Um, you had Three Arrows Capital, you know, the biggest, most notorious hedge fund in the, in the space was unsecured uh, borrowing from all these uh, lenders or, or partially collateralized. So all of this unwound, right? And while Bitcoin was, you know, basically traded like a derivative of, of the S&P 500. And since then, we've kind of bottomed in risk and, and, and stocks and equity specifically as volatility has really kind of been crushed, implied volatility, if you look at like, say, the VIX. As, as a lot of late shorts, late hedges, and this is true for both Bitcoin and, and equities, a lot of that kind of late hedging, late selling, um, by funds, by allocators, they got, you know, they got their face ripped off late shorts and, and uh, kind of late, late put options specifically. This is for both, again, for both equities and Bitcoin. And so now you've seen, you know, Bitcoin actually relatively just underperform equities. If you just, if you just compare the two assets and, and you're seeing stuff like the yield curve and, and just, and uh, just a lot of economic indicators in general, like consumer sentiment and all come in at really, really ugly numbers. I mean, the yield curve precedes recessions and huge kind of drawdowns in equity markets. And it's, it's the lowest it's been in 22 years of the 10-2 specifically. So the bond market saying that, you know, this this is really bad and the Fed's over tightening. And while, you know, risk continues to kind of melt up and a lot of people are calling for the end of the bull market. And so we're a little more cautious on that statement and, and think that, you know, while 17,000 is, is certainly a very strong low and we got a lot of support between that. And for Bitcoin specifically, we think we're kind of in a, in a bear market rally for risk. And you can kind of look at previous equity market bear markets to look at that. And so, you know, this everything bubble unwind is, is still underway in our, in our view, as, as you know, inflation is, is political enemy number one around the world. And I think what happens, and like you've seen in previous debt cycles, 
is that the Fed and their tightening policy, and I think truly, you know, it's not that they're competent or not. It's just the reality that 12 men in a room and really the, the Fed decide monetary policy for the world, given the dollar's currency status, world, you know, world reserve currency status. It's just that, you know, 12 men setting an arbitrary cost of capital or price of money, you know, price of time maybe is the, is the better word, for the entire world ends badly. And oftentimes, you know, they break things without meaning to break things, right? They, they try to not break anything, but it's just such a complex system that something somewhere, somehow, you know, breaks. And, and with every, every cycle, there's more and more debt, there's more and more leverage, you know, debt levels relative to productivity levels around the world are higher. Or, and, and which requires ever lower yields. So now we see this inflation spike and it's still, you know, still very, very high and the Fed's trying to address it. And I think ultimately Sam and I's thesis, and I don't mean to speak for him, but we talk almost every day and, and kind of agree here is that, that that final volatility event where really the only two, you know, asset safe havens are the dollar, which is a paradox because over the long term it's, it's you know, politically programmed to devalue. But the, you know, the only safe havens in these sort of events are the dollar, given that it's the currency that's in short supply. It's the, it's the fiat currency going through a, you know, basically a short squeeze um, as credit contracts and, and long volatility. And that can be in the form of, of really anything. But, but during these moments, we say long vol because correlations go to one as, as everything, commodities, bonds, equities, and, and more liquid things like, say, you know, even real estate kind of go to one and, and sell off in dollar terms. And so that's, we, we still think that that event hasn't really played out yet. So while we've certainly seen a nice you know, rebound in everything, Bitcoin, broadly, crypto markets, equity markets, we, we think that, you know, there's, there's, there's more downside to come potentially over the next, you know, however really, however really long it takes for something to break as, as niche or as cliche as that sounds. Yeah. When Dylan and I were going through this, we have a running joke all the time and it might be our bias or framework. I mean, we're trying to be as objective as possible. When we think about this is like, you know, the joke is that like, we can't find a bullish chart at the moment because there's so many economic data points that are pointing to this kind of lack of conclusion and what we talk about, right? This potential for a dollar liquidity crisis playing out that this turnover or reacceleration in kind of economic metrics. So if you're looking at any of the economic leading indicators, or you're looking at PMI data around the world across countries, which some are, you know, now printing contractions for the first time, you're looking at GDP growth estimates that are constantly getting revised down. You're looking at earnings estimates that are getting revised down, but still, are incredibly high for the year relative to these other like stronger tail risk bear markets that have played out before these kind of like 2000 or 2008 or you know 1978 type markets that that turn over so i think it's it's i find it odd to try and conclude that this is a bottom here for you know what you call it bitcoin and, and crypto assets or equities they're all following each other they're all following you know equities equities gone down or at least bounce back up from their lows so far maybe 14 15 percent if you're looking at the the s p bitcoin's followed and done you know 30 40 percent if you're looking from like the super bottom wick and the 17s that we had altcoins or even beyond that which to me is 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 a is a strange sign to see so much appreciation in terms of that risk that that tells me that you know a lot of risk in the market is is still here and hasn't really been killed yet which would be strange if that we're really talking about how overvalued everything's become you know a good way to look at that is just to look at 
broader PE ratios or the Robert Schiller CAPE PE ratios, which just take earnings over the last 10 years, which are just good measures of overvaluations. And those usually things revert back to their mean and median values. And we're still incredibly overvalued and high in all of those relative to history going back into, um, you know, late 1800s. So it would be strange for me to see, you know, to, to really have a lot of confidence in the bottom here with what's happening kind of with the economic machine around the world. I think one of the more interesting points that just came out wasn't in our report as of late, but the UK just being a reflection of, of what some of the you know dynamics are going on in Europe is that their you know central bank, Bank of England is projecting deep recession five quarters through 2023 and inflation to be 9% through 2023 as well. And mostly on the backs of, you know, kind of nearly doubled energy prices. So I think we're going to constantly see more and more projections to get worse. That's generally how it goes. You have these forecasts, you have consensus forecasts, and more and more data comes out. It gets worse and worse. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, markets are probably going to lead that. But I look at this and just say, you know, within the context of Bitcoin, the, the S&P, whatever you're looking at, whatever assets, all of these are in like these reasonable kind of bear market rally territories that we see a lot. Things get overshorted. People fear comes into markets. Markets kind of rebound. They adjust. And then we kind of go through a no cyclical component of that. So that's the framework we use. Um, and really, we lean that way because haven't heard a convincing bullish argument to turn us in. The other way. So I think it, you know, it's a good scenario to think about, you know, if you really believe in the long-term Bitcoin thesis, I think you could look at a lot of mean reversion metrics here and say, yeah, it's great to, to allocate and pick Bitcoin up when you have a five, 10 year view. A lot of people don't have that or they're not ready for that type of conviction. So, you know, knowing the downside or the potential that could come here and just keeping that in mind, because if it doesn't come and all of a sudden things are poof better economically, globally around the world and things are rising again, or, you know, we turn into a major Fed pivot because we have to, because the treasury market seizes up and things change, then it'll be fine. Then you're in a new paradigm and it's a different allocation discussion. So that's kind of give a rough overview. I kind of bounce around a lot of stuff there. No, I mean, to be honest, your guys' report was so extensive that I appreciate how much in this just brief conversation we were able to have you covered so much. I have one final question before I turn the mics over to you, but I do want to remind everyone, if you want to really dive in deeper, I highly, highly recommend just go on, head on over to Substack or BitcoinMagazinePro.com and subscribe to this newsletter. Their monthly report was far more detailed than we could ever spend. It would take us more than three hours to really get into the weeds of everything that they did. I love hearing that you guys were trying to find those bullish charts and you couldn't quite find anything. So my final question to each of you the type of question I know Dylan hates, but we get the CPI print on Wednesday. Are you expecting higher or lower? I don't even know, man. I just whatever it is, it's, we're, I have no idea. I'm not. I'm not the one that trades. Uh, you know, I don't just like to gamble my money before a CPI print. You know, because the market, the equities, are, the markets will, you know, knee jerk reaction one way or another. But I still, it's it's too high. You know, whatever it is, <laughs> it's too high, and it's it's you know. That Fed dual mandate, they're going to, as, as long as employment's as, as high it is, they're going to try to, and even if that's not the real number, right? Like both inflation and CPI or, and employment, right? People are hurting. The American consumer's hurting. The American worker's hurting. Real wages are going down, right? Like, so it's all bad. I mean, it's all bad news. And so the Fed's going to try to, you know, they basically said they're going to try to deflate markets, uh, deflate asset prices until that changes. And I'm just kind of, you know, 
our view is that they they overdo it like they seemingly always do. And you know, the the just the reality of the fiscal situation and the treasuries, we kind of we borrowed a little little bit of, of Luke Groman's thesis on just the US Treasury and fiscal situation and you know the reality that tax receipts as you know as we enter a recession and we you know we try to clamp down on this overheated economy, things are gonna swing really hard the other way. Uh, and with high yields, you know, raging inflation and all this, uh, the US won't be really able to to finance itself. And that's why the Fed uh, we'll have to come step back in eventually. And so, I mean, we have time, right? It's not like Bitcoin's not going to go to a million tomorrow and that's okay. And that's a good thing because <laughs> we have more time to buy it. Yeah, I definitely would not be making any trades or trying to gamble around CPI prints. Don't know if it's going to come in below or above consensus. Thoughts are that, you know, core CPI, which is really, you know, less food and energy, kind of dumb metric for the everyday individual who's kind of tracking where inflation is going against them. But what Fed uses quite a bit just to look at like sticky type of inflation. I think there's a good analysis case to be made that that could still be accelerating through the year. So you might get headline kind of CPI still decelerating, but like the core stuff that the policy is most focused on in terms of their tightening is still accelerating. Obviously, I think the big issue now and coming through what the latest labor market kind of report was is that unemployment fell from three, you know, to three and a half percent, 3.6. And, you know, it's all not all good news in terms of jobs underneath that in, in that report. But the biggest thing is that, you know, if unemployment is not rising, then there is a stronger pressure on wages, which are the stickier piece to that kind of inflation component. So, you know, nominal wages, if you look at like what the Atlanta Fed is saying, they're up, you know, 6.7%. If you look at like average earnings, which is another way to look at it, it's up 5.2%. It's all accelerating, which is again, not a good sign for the Fed. So, you know, that's, that's part of that CPI calculation. So I'm guessing they're both looking at that core CPI and wages, which haven't really slowed down yet, which, you know, leads me back to the point of that, unless you see, you know, kind of Luke Roman thesis, treasury market seizes up over the next month, which is certainly a risk and could happen. It's hard to see a Fed pivot anytime soon politically just for the inflation alone, and especially for the wage inflation, because, you know, as with wages, once those start to get set, they become really sticky and it doesn't go away for a long time. So the Fed still, you know, kind of New York Fed still projecting 5%, which I think is pretty conservative through the rest of the year and still, you know, pretty stronger inflation by then. And you won't get 2% until 2024. And so wages play a big part of that. So not sure where it's going to go, if it's going to beat, but still expect that, you know, we're months away from kind of the tightening cycle being over, you know, which goes back to, you know, the Bitcoin point again, you know, it's going to follow some of these macro liquidity cycles and obviously the balance sheet what the fed's trying to do no matter let's say they you know can only get off 10 percent and they have to turn around it's still a lot of reduction and tightening to attempt and to go and if that's achievable in some version bitcoin and, and risk assets are going to likely follow that I just guys you know how much of a degenerate i am i'm just trying to make a quick bet over under but I guess I'm on my own on this one. I do want to remind everyone, this full interview will be made available over on the YouTube channel. So we are about to wind this down. Before I hand it off to each of you to plug Bitcoin Magazine Pro, I want to remind everyone this is all this is pure signal. These two do an excellent job of really cutting through all the cut cutting through the clutter and giving you the exact data and information that you need, as well as very thoughtful analysis and how they are drawing their conclusions. I'll turn it over to the two of you to shill what you guys do best. 
Yeah, just, I mean, if you enjoyed this content, we just kind of map it out in a more visual form with Bitcoin Magazine Pro with free and paid. And so that monthly report was just released to everybody if you want to check it out and, you know, kind of appreciate everyone tuning in next time. Or if we, if we don't do the YouTube live show next time we do a space, we'll certainly love to kind of interact more with the Twitter crowd and talk and have some questions. But until then, appreciate everyone tuning in. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks for having us again, Q. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, everyone who is tuning in, watching, and listening to all of us. I do want to remind everyone tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale. Use promo code BM Live to get 10% off of those tickets. Do it for the children. The children are P, myself, and Chris, please, for our sake. And of course, the censorship resistant issue of the print magazine is currently available at Barnes and Noble stores near you, as well as, I believe, Indigo in Canada. If you don't want to actually go to a physical store to pick up the behemoth, this is thick. This is a thick magazine, guys. If you don't want to go to the store itself to pick it up, use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of the individual magazine or a full year subscription to this quarterly print magazine. That's all we got for you guys. Get back to work. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. We're going back to Miami for Bitcoin 2023. Lock in your tickets before prices go up. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of your tickets today. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of your order today.